I love the rain. And those of us who live in the Bay Area, the rain is so um, much needed. So just music. Well, it's interesting, the word Dharmet. <laughs> yeah, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> it's, it's a wide range of things you can talk about. I think I'm going to tell some stories. <laughs> and, um, well, one's on steadfastness the aspirations. And uh, my teacher, Tampulu Seto, he told this story, and I'm not sure where he heard it, but I, I, I don't think he was making it up. And um, the story goes like this, that um, there was three guys, and they were sitting around one day, and they were talking about their aspirations. And one of them said, I want to become a Buddha. And the other two said, are you kidding? That's going to take a long, long time. That person was really serious. And it came to pass many eons later. So to give you an example of how long an eon is, sometimes it's descriptors when a bird flies over the highest mountain of the world and brushes its wing against the top of the mountain once every hundred years. And it takes that time to ground it into a flat plane. <laughs> so, many eons ago. But at one point, um, this person actually became a Buddha. And then because of the abilities to see back, looking back towards that time where the aspiration came and recalled that conversation with his two friends. And then wondered, I wonder where they are now, my two friends. And one was a monkey swinging in the trees, and the other was a cow grazing in the pasture. And the Seattle would say, never underestimate your aspirations, and to be steadfast with them. Not that there's anything wrong maybe in being a monkey or a cow, but it was a very interesting story of uh, the importance of steadfastness, that commitment to your aspirations to awaken. One of my uh, practice discussion uh, people I saw this morning asked me, it was a very sincere question, it really touched my heart, it asked me, um, do I still have any questions about the practice? It's a good question. <laughs> and, um, you know, on one hand I think there's always questions, but what really came out of me was the word no. And I had the very fortunate opportunity to ask every question I could possibly ever want to ask. And um, need to be uh, reasonably answered in a wise way. Of course, and maybe you could say that it left me with feeling the confidence that as questions come up in myself that I could look within to answer them. It's not like I've answered all the questions. 
but um yeah there was there was there was no more questions left left with my teacher i it exhausted them all but i like to like first describe a little bit about the presence of uh, my teacher and then i will tell you the last question i ever asked of him so first of all, I, I've had a few, been very blessed with a few um, teachers that were really instrumental. I will name them. Rena Sirkar, who really brought me on the path of Vipassana, and her teacher, Tongpulu Sero. And there's Lindit Sero, who was a little bit younger than Tongpulu Sero, and then Pakoku Sero. These are my holy four. <laughs> and... Um, after Tempulu Sero came to the United States and started the monastery in Boulder Creek, where it still exists today, he left behind Lindit Sero, who was the number two elder in the monastery, to stay here. And I got a chance to um, live very closely with him for eight and a half years. And just to describe a little bit of his personality, there are some teachers that have a lot of charisma and you kind of notice them and it's not coming out of ego and pride, hopefully, but they just have that type of charismatic quality. So to give you a picture of Lyndit Seto, he was the exact opposite. If you went into a room, you could most likely notice the lamp <laughs> or the chair before you noticed him. I, I'm not kidding you. He he had this quality of such unassumingness that all of a sudden, like, who is this guy? That it's just like doesn't draw attention to himself. And even when we go on house chanting, we'd always have to. The monks would always say, "No, Sero, you have to sit in the front seat. You're, you're the elder monk." And he, he didn't know he was supposed to sit in the front seat. And Sero is the type of person. It's it's hard to it's hard to fathom this. He didn't need anything. He was truly the most contented. And I lived with him for eight and a half years. The truly most contented human being. He could just be fine being in his room. He didn't have to go anywhere. He didn't have to be anyone. He didn't have to teach. There was many many a nights where I would massage his feet his toenail fungus feet. <laughs> and I must be his son because now my toenails are all fungus <laughs> as well. But many, many nights just massaging his feet and we would barely talk. He was just, just he was just had this silence about him. And we could communicate through. I knew some Burmese, he knew a little English, and I knew a little Pali, so we could communicate within these languages. But many nights we just, was just silence, massaging his feet, and I would just listen to him breathe. And, you know, maybe it sounds a little romantic, but I would, I'd be like taken to like the most deepest forest I'd ever been to. And that silence and presence. I loved him so much, Lindit Sero. And um, so I, I went to visit him in Burma. It was my very last time, probably like about 1998. And I was 
getting ready to leave, and I really didn't know if I would ever see him again. And as it turned out, I never did. He was 92 at the time. And, um, or no, actually about 94, I'm sorry. He'd been a monk already 64 years. And prior to that, he was a, a novice monk. They don't start counting years as a monk until you start at the age of 20. But I had one more question. And I really meant it. And so I said, Seattle, I have one more question. I'm leaving tomorrow. I don't know if I'll ever see you again. I hope so. And he, he hoped he hoped I would come back too. So he had stayed in Boulder Creek for about 10 years, and then he went back, and I was with him for eight and a half. So my question was to him, Seattle, so you're 94 years old now. You already have, um, um, you're living over the average lifespan, and death may not be too far, and what, what are you going to do when death comes knocking at your door? I really wanted to know. Been a monk all these years. What's he going to do? He looked at me for a really long time. Then I saw his cheek move up and down, and that was not a good sign. <laughs> and then he said to me, Bob, are you afraid to die? And he, it caught me off guard, because I didn't, I asked him what he was going to do, and he's asking me if I'm scared to die. And he looked at me, and he said, yes, at all. This was my 40s then, late 40s. And he said, you need to meditate more. <laughs> and I said, that is, that is right, Seattle. So I sat there for a while in silence, and then I asked him again the same question. What are you going to do when death comes knocking at your door? And the Seto said something to me that I'll never forget, and I want to pass it on to you. He said that if I see something, I'll be mindful of seeing. If I hear something, I'll be mindful of hearing. If I smell something, I'll be mindful of smelling. If I taste something, I'll be mindful of tasting. If I feel something, I'll be mindful of feeling. If there's thoughts and emotions arising, I'll be mindful of thoughts and emotions. This is how I will die. This is how I want you to die. Hmm. It was an incredible blessing. I think it's also not only a teaching about dying, it's a teaching about living, but it's a teaching about meeting life and death with an open heart. I remember telling my 100-year-old grandmother this story, what Sero told me about how to die that way, and she's this old Jewish lady. She goes, you know, Bobby, that, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> Even my grandma got it. That, so that this might be a good way to go, to, to be there. But not only in death, but in life, to be here. And as Gil um, said so beautifully today, you know, the, you know, I think if we just boil down the Dharma, it's awareness or mindfulness, it's heart and love. That, that's it. And uh, may we pass it on. And that light of love is stronger than all fear. We need it now. This is a time of big tests. And, you know, when we succumb to hatred, we become like the aggressor. It's a difficult practice. May we choose love.
and skillful, wise action. So thank you for your attention. That's the Dharmet of the night. <laughs> <laughs>
thank people for it. It's wonderful. I appreciate people so much for what they have accomplished and what they experience and the purity that purification is needed to attain all kinds of different states. Um, but the the thing that I hold up is highest esteem, highest value is the absence of suffering, the freedom from suffering. So you you want to answer that? Too? I'll, I'll maybe just say a little. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I mean, I think it's an incredibly um, important question. And you know, during the time of the Buddha. People were, you know, asking about enlightenment, asking about what, what is what is a good path, and found in one of the suttas, um, the Buddha teaches about the criterion, if you will, to know what is beneficial, and it's it's always measured by is this path lessening our greed, hatred, and ignorance, which is another name for suffering, and if it is so, even if it's just a little bit, we can say this is this is a this is a good criteria to evaluate. Yeah, this is lessening a good path to go on. If it's increasing, maybe this is not the best path to go on. And, um, you know, it was beautiful. Uh, so I, I love that as an because I think the question of are we making progress in the practice is a very valid one. And, and so perhaps part of that progress is am I getting less stuck or less caught? Am I seeing a little bit more clearly, more sooner than later, when this is happening? These are signs of progress. When things don't go my way, am I less reactive than I was before? It, you know, like, so beginning like to understand more about these stories that we used to get more caught in, that now less so. Another thing that's said in the suttas is the idea that you asked about different teachers. Uh, that uh, one of the, if you spend time with a teacher, you should get to know them first, and you should f figure out to your best of you can you can figure out is there greed, hate, and delusion in that person? You know, and uh, there's a lot of charisma that teachers can have. A lot of, you know, um, a lot of sh a lot of ways that we're really impressed by them. Uh, there's a lot of. Um, projection on teachers, there's a lot of wishful thinking on teachers, there's a lot of um, reliance on wonderful authority and claims of great experiences and, all, you know, psychic power, all kinds of things that teachers uh, that impress people and people are so in awe and they're ready to follow them. And um, so th those are all great, but, uh, the, you know, the, the, the Buddhist criteria for studying a teacher, if you want to study with a teacher, check them out. Take your time and see if there's is there greed, hate, and delusion, or is there um, not so much? Yeah. <laughs> 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 so someone else. Hi, Gil. Hi, Bob. Um, Bob spoke a little bit about it, um, well, quite a bit about it earlier, about your relationship with your teacher. And um, I'm curious to know, because I know that both of you um, have gone to Asia and have trained in monasteries there, 
And I was wondering if you can talk about um, what the experience there has added to your understanding of the Dharma and to your practice, um, or not, <laughs> and whether without that experience um, it would have been otherwise. And also, at the end, is do you believe that um, the Dharma in Asia um, is the experience there is still the same as what you have experienced when you were there? Okay, okay. You can keep it there until someone else wants to <coughs> use it. So, um, <coughs> Yeah, so it can be very valuable to go practice in Buddhist Asia. Uh, there's a lot to learn there. Uh, it's uh, on all kinds of levels. One is to be in a culture that's Buddhist. A lot of the values that are central to Buddhism is expressed in the culture, and I mean uh, it's inspiring to see as a possibility. It's also very nice to uh, be around people who are very devoted. You know, kind of unqualified devotion, unhesitant, just completely. They've given their lives over in a full way, and and seeing the devotion of people practicing is, uh, or devotion to the Dharma is quite inspiring, and kind of a beautiful qualities of heart that come out. Uh, it's inspiring to see the phenomenal levels of generosity that uh, exist that support the Dharma in Asia. The, the ways in which the monastics, the teachers, the centers, the monasteries are supported and and how in most places you go still to this day it's um, you don't have to pay anything to go practice there, it's just offered freely and it's inspiring to be there. Uh, for some people are quite inspired to be in a culture where there's a, <coughs> a, a devotion, a real appreciation for monasticism and monasticism has its you know strengths and weaknesses for sure but certainly has its uh, strengths, and and to see be around people, a lot of people who do the monastic uh, practice of renunciation or the simplicity of that life and the dedicated, full-time kind of dedication to the Dharma, uh, you see lot, lots of you can find them there. They do it beautifully. It's probably a minority of monks in Asia who are inspiring monks. Um, you know, it's, <coughs> there's a minority of monks in Asia who meditate, for example. So it's not necessarily that all monks, but you do see a high, much higher percentage or higher number of these people, who monks, monastics, who've been practitioners for a long time that are quite inspiring. You know, like people who've been a monastic for 60 years or sometimes more. And it just is, you know, it's just this quality, all these qualities of the Dharma that just kind of ooze from them, from that kind of immersion. It's just inspiring to see. And uh, we have teachers now here in the West who've been practicing 50 years, and some of them, are, Ooze. <laughs> and uh, so that's so <coughs> and um, so that's nice. And then uh, and also the the kind of the sometimes because there's some the culture, the devotion, the years of practice, the long ancient history of it all, the the ways it's kind of clear what the Dharma is and that uh, some people find that it's very inspiring and meaningful to practice there, and they can get really kind of focused and concentrated and really immerse themselves in a full way, deep way that is very nice and very good. Um, so all that's very good. Um, but I think that 
Um, in terms of practicing in the West, in comparison, uh, we now have teachers who've practiced for many, many years here, and we some of the lay Vipassana teachers uh, have practiced so much more serious retreats, serious meditation practice than most monastics in Asia. Just because someone comes over here as a monastic doesn't mean that they even have a meditation practice. And um, so, you know, some of these lay people have practiced, you know, really, really deeply, and um, and they know the Dharma really well and pretty deeply and as well. And um, and so the opportunities to practice here are, are you know, the you know, there's some great retreats possible to do, long retreats here, the Forest Refuge, the IMS, Spirit Rock month long, two months, that um, are really f- phenomenal opportunities to go deep. And, and uh, some of the teachers who teach those retreats are excellent teachers with deep understanding and, and uh, can guide you. And so in terms of going deep and practi- practice-wise, in terms of, you know, the depth of concentration, the depth of mindfulness, uh, it's, access, it's as accessible here as there. Just sometimes in Asia, for some people, it's like like the the um, the, the energy for it all. Like that's that's the like the whole thing is going in that direction. Um, whereas, uh, you know, when I went to you go to Spirit Rock, you have a lot of sometimes a lot of directions. <laughs> like when I I was teaching there one day, one one retreat, and this guy came in and he was kind of chipper. Middle of the retreat, how are you? And I said, I'm great. Um, the retreat's great. And I, I just came back from the golf course down the street. <laughs> you know, he, he did his rounds, you know, 18 holes, and came back to the retreat. <laughs> so, you know, I don't think you'd find someone in, you know, at the Mahasi Center in Burma going off to the golf course. And um, so that, that's my that's one answer. I don't know if that answered all the questions. It was a lot you said, so that's the best I could remember. But, but now it's your turn. Actually, I agree so much with um, uh, what Gil said, and you know, being in the um, <coughs> the lands where the the practice of the Dharma has been going on for you know couple thousand years i mean it's it's amazing i mean there are places where um out in the burma um very remote areas where sometimes like you'll come across walking in these areas where like all of a sudden you'll walk and you'll just see a tip of a pagoda and underneath is like it's like it's been buried through the years of like just how 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 ancient it is there in pagan so the, this it's this kind of uh, oh I don't know it's a little magical land and of course in in Buddhism in in Burma at least in Burma you know there is also some combination of animism and so there's a you know there's the devas in the trees you got to make sure they're happy and so there's um, it's a whole experience <laughs> and um, but you know living as a brief time of my life as a forest monk walking barefoot in the and in, into the village and collecting alms um it it was um uh, difficult but amazing and um many people ask me oh they want to go to to you know westerners want to go to asia where can where can they want to know for me to tell them where to go and 
you know, a lot of my teachers are now gone, and um, it just happened to be this brief period of time for me. And, you know, I, I think... I think there is opportunity still there in in Burma and Thailand and so forth. I think one of the things that perhaps as a Westerner, uh, this the, the you know going there, it, it's like there's three seasons: hot, hotter, and hottest. <laughs> and you know, I came back. I had to do a, a couple of courses of flagell because I had intestinal parasites. A friend of mine had typhoid. Um, there's language challenges. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's not uh, comfortable. <laughs> Particularly in the far, you know, I was given this bamboo chair made not out of woven bamboo, bamboo sticks put together. Okay, this is where you'll be living. And um, which is very different than our um, type of life. And there's an austereness there at times. So I think here in the West, um, and we, we are very fortunate to have IRC, to have Spirit Rock, IMS, and other Dharma centers where there are, you know, seasoned teachers that have practiced a lot and the, you know, the conditions, I mean, we have a pretty good deal here, right? Even <laughs> everyone's got their own bedroom and, uh, and water and heat. And, and good food, with probably not parasites swimming in it. <laughs> Hopefully not. And so, um, we, we, so, these are wonderful conditions to practice here. And I, I was also, too, just taken so deeply with the generosity. And I mean, how many mornings have I seen just from little small monastics to Older monastics, this every morning the alms boat going people on alms rounds. It's so interwoven, the the culture and the dharma. That's um, yeah, yeah. There's something that I you know, and I don't know. There's just some personal thing. Like when I when I met Tempu Lucero, I, I had this idea of what he was going to be like, and when I met him, he was exactly how I thought he was going to be. And and uh, I um, there's some affinity that just personally I had with with Burmese culture that I was just so at home. And, and um, but whether you're there or here, here's here. <laughs> and attending, I don't think there's any like romantic place. Oh, this is the place to go, and it's like right here. I don't know if that answers your questions either, but yes, thank you. Great. So we need to uh, move on from our schedule. And so maybe later tomorrow, if you want to ask Kathy, we can talk maybe at the closing. But we need to, st- we need to stop with the questions. So um, at this point in the retreat, uh, what I like to, I really enjoy doing, uh, is that tell you a little bit about how IRC is set up. I think maybe it's obvious enough to all of you but uh, the hope is that the medium is the message, partly, and that the medium of th- what we are here is nourishing for you, and that it becomes a support for you in your Dharma practice, that somehow the practice can unfold uh, best in a field of goodwill, field of generosity, and a field of gratitude. And I feel even more kind of proud of what we have here uh, somehow this particular juncture for American society and everything uh, 
that um, it's a phenomenal thing that uh, there's so many wonderful people, good people who've come and have uh, offered their time, their labor. We have a whole little te- large team of great volunteers who are things like volunteer to be registrars and bookkeepers and and um, you know just goes on and on. There's like you, we have someone who comes here from outside, one volunteer who only does inventory. And I, s- I don't remember what it is now. Do you remember how long that inventory is that uh, Heidi does? It's like this really long list. I mean, it's all this stuff. <laughs> I mean, just the stuff to run this place. <laughs> and, um, you know, lights and soaps and shampoos and toilet paper and t- paper towels and this kind and that. It goes on and on. So so someone comes here and, and, and does it, does it, and people put together the newsletter and the volunteers who live here and take care of so much that goes on here and and it's phenomenal to have this happen out of that kind of goodwill and then uh, all these people who, wonderful people who donated to make this possible and uh, to be able to buy this place and to own it and renovate it and build what we had I mean it's a little bit over the top right <laughs> uh, this place uh, so, sometimes I get a little embarrassed <laughs> and, and uh, and um but um you know it's uh it's really represents um that there were people who really believed in this and really wanted to support it and really wanted to thrive and work well and so you're coming here to practice in that environment and uh and uh you're recipient of the feel that's been created and it's been created for you so you can practice and grow and develop. And the fact that you are here and contributed to this retreat with your practice and your work meditation and all that sets up the stage for the next retreat that's going to come here and the people who are going to come. And, and over time, you know, this place is starting to get, um, you know, we're working towards a 2,000-year history, you know. <laughs> we have a little bit of ways to go, but we're working towards it. And uh, anyway, so so it, I think it, you know I, I feel like something I celebrate and uh, take tremendous delights, like one of the lights of my life that this kind of place exists, and I hope it's contagious, um, and that we learn from it and grow grows and becomes like a movement of uh, centers that can offer retreats in this way, and it's so such a beautiful thing. It's one of the great joys of my life to be able to come here and do this, and so. Um, so it's not always so obvious that this is the case. And I know that I was telling Bob today that when I was a new Zen student uh, at Francisco, San Francisco Zen Center and Tassajara, I took the whole thing for granted. And I think that was good. But uh, I think that I would have somehow, if I'd understood how much it took to take care of the place, I, w- I think it would have kind of inspired me in my practice and my dedication and in a way that I didn't know what to do because no one told me. I just showed up and practiced. And so, um, so I hope that anyway, I wanted to share that. It's meaningful for me, and I hope that um, what we do here, the 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 medium, is a nice message for you too. So um, now we have Shelley. No, Bev. Manager has some of the announcements you need to get ready for our transition. Mm